In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Our Lord didn't go into the desert to be changed. He went there to change the desert. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Son of the Eternal Father, our Lord went to show us how to engage in spiritual battle and also to poke the devil in the eye while he was at it. Friday evening, in doing the Stations of the Cross, arriving at the 12th station, this reality came to a new meditation, realizing that when our Lord breathed his last and his heart stopped beating, nothing about him stopped. His body gave up, but everything that he did, all of his actions, everything in his soul, continued. Nothing about him actually stopped with death. In contrast, then thinking about my own death there kneeling in front of the 12th station, was the realization that there's a lot about me that's going to stop the moment that I die. And how pathetic it would be if that's what it will take for all of my deliberate venial sins to come to an end. It shouldn't have to require my death. Think then on this theme of embracing death and meditating on death and learning wisdom. That we want to be so transformed by God's grace that at the moment of our death, nothing in our heart has to stop. Nothing in our intentions has to cease. And if anything, we just simply grow. There's a beautiful prayer friends of mine pray every night with their family at the end of the rosary to prepare them for their examination of conscience and then praying the act of contrition, which we all should do at the end of the day. It's a prayer that begins with familiar words but ends um, in a different sort of prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, give me your light to see my sins and give me your help to be sorry for them. Show me why I sinned and help me never again to sin on purpose. Realizing that we've been created to continue the mission of Christ. Christ came to change lives and to change the world, not just change the desert, to change the water and the river Jordan. Christ didn't come simply to, to be holy and to be observed, to be without sin, he came to do things. And so our mission as Christians is similar. Our vocation is to sanctify the world, to sanctify that part of the world which is under our governance. Not simply to be absent from sin, absent from culpability, free from guilt. And that vocation usually involves you being sacramentally bound to a spouse. For some, it involves consecration, others ordination. And that mission, that vocation 
can be ruined by venial sins. It doesn't require that you lose the state of grace and commit a mortal sin for your vocation to be in pieces. In fact, it reveals that our goal isn't simply to avoid sin. Sin impedes our work. It gets in the way of the mission. And so in order to grow in wisdom and to grow in virtue and to grow in spiritual power, to be able to do spiritual combat, to free ourselves and to free others and to sanctify the world, we need once and for all to pray this prayer or to make the same sentiment and be resolved never again a deliberate sin, period. When we do that, we will be all the more aware of the stench of mortal sin. And our our friends and our, our loved ones who are caught up in it will be all the better served by our having deep sympathy for the struggle against sin and complete urgency in taking up that battle. We need to help people make their examination of conscience, or at least to prompt them, to help them, encourage them, come back to confession. This past week, we had the beautiful experience of first penance on Monday morning and yesterday morning. We need no more evidence that the only way to be happy in this world is to be free of sin, to be innocent. And who cares if the world ridicules us? We're happy. Here's that prayer again. Come, Holy Spirit, give me your light to see my sins and give me your help to be sorry for them. Show me why I sinned. Help me never again to sin on purpose. For our friends who are caught up in deeper sins, deliberate sins of idolatry, deliberately neglecting worship of God on Sundays and holy days, deliberate in their blasphemies and their curses, to rescue our sins from those deliberate offenses against marriage, neglect of their parents, neglect of their spouses, adultery, pornography, to rescue our sins from sins against life, deliberate sins against life, recklessness, making themselves stupid by deliberate drunkenness. To help our friends be freed from offenses against the truth and all forms of dishonesty and manipulation and corruption. And ultimately to promote a profound respect for everything and everyone that belongs to others, realizing that everyone and everything ultimately only belongs to God. All forms of greed and vanity, covetousness, envy and jealousy. Everything we do to tear down other people just because they have something we want. When we bring people back to the sacrament of confession, it's very important, I beg you, to remind them of two things. There are two things that used to be common knowledge. And as practical experience bears out, less and less are they common knowledge. One, in order to be ready for confession, we need to be sorry for all of our sins, not just some of them. And we need to be resolved never to sin again with God's grace. 
we can be totally convinced that left to my own devices, I will sin again, and that it's only by God's grace that I cannot sin again. We can even be sorry for our sins with the most imperfect contrition imaginable, only because we don't want to go to hell. It doesn't matter how imperfect your contrition is. God can work with that. But we need to remind those whom we welcome back and bring back to the sacrament, these two things. You must be sorry for all of your sins, not just some of them. You have to be resolved to amend your life, not to commit them again. Think of the practical implications of that. It used to be very easy if someone came to confession and they couldn't confess in English, but they had to confess in a language I couldn't understand. That's not a problem because I know that they're sorry for all their sins and they have a firm purpose of amendment. It's wired into the act of contrition that used to be universally memorized because people were praying it every night. It would be easy to tell people, it's fine, go ahead and confess in any language you want because I know with confidence they walk in that door, they know they're sorry for all their sins and they don't want to sin again. I'm also not subtly encouraging you to find that priest that doesn't understand English so you can confess to them if they don't understand what you're saying. But when those two principles are universally understood, then you spare your friends from that awkwardness of coming to confession and having to be told, okay, you're on, you're on the way, you're not quite ready for confession, let's pray a little bit, can I give you a blessing? We want people to be able to go to the confessional with all of the hang-ups and obstacles they already have and know that if they walk in that door, they will be absolved. You can help them. And so we pray once more. Come, Holy Spirit, give me your light to see my sins and give me your help to be sorry for them. Show me why I sinned. Help me never again to sin on purpose. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.